Uh, we just praise God for what he's doing in your life and, and those who are willing just to surrender these things to him. And we're just here to celebrate. This is about God. This is about his faithfulness in our lives over this past year and trusting that same God will continue to be faithful in the year to come. Amen. So we dive into God's word this morning. We're wrapping up the book of Acts. So we'll be in Acts chapters 21 through 28. Breathe out. We're not going to go verse by verse. We're going to take a bird's eye view here. Uh, so we're calling this the unhindered gospel. Uh, we're looking at the last year. And almost a year ago to this day, uh, Jill and I were in Anchorage and we hiked flat top. Uh, this is the day after she had completed a, a triathlon, right? My, my lazy, lazy wife. Uh, so we... Have anybody been up flat top before? Now, not just the circle drive, but actually the hike, okay? So, yeah. So, you go up there. If you remember, uh, we had a late spring last year. It was pretty snowy at the top. Now, it was one thing to go up the snowy, icy mountain. Uh, it was another thing to come down. And what Jill and I, as we, I, I sent Jill down first. Um, I figured that way, if she fell, I'd know to take a different route. That just seemed to make sense to me. Um, so we ease down to where that steep drop-off is, and, and, and she starts going, I, I don't know, I, I got nowhere, it's too steep to go down the ice. She sees some rock over to her right, and it's like, I got to get over to that rock, but it's too far, and she doesn't have a grip for her feet on the ice. So what's she going to do? I said, babe, I'm right behind you. She said, that's the problem, right? <laughs> And literally, I said, she goes, please don't follow me. Please don't follow me. And you know what happened. I slip on some ice and run into my wife and almost kill her, right? Uh, and so I, I, we didn't know what to do. And it was legitimately terrifying. I'm like, I don't know where to go next. So I started slamming my foot, my ankle back into, my heel back into the ice and kind of gained a foothold. And I said, sweetheart, love of my life, grab my ankle. It is secure, I promise you. Fling yourself over to the rock and you will be safe, right? She goes, yeah, sure thing, Bambi, right? Like, whatever. And so she does. She grabs my ankle, swings over, falls down, breaks 23 bones. No, I'm just kidding. By the, by the grace of God, we survived. We got down the mountain in one piece. And it was, it was after a couple of, of therapy sessions, like, we're great. Like, things are good. Um, we, we had some hindrances down that mountain, right? We had our outward circumstances of a, of a cliff, of snow and ice. Uh, we had our own failures and ineptitudes. Uh, we did not have things we needed like cleats or actual experience doing things like that. Um, but as we looked back, I mean, we see God protected us in that moment, right? And that we can trust him to be faithful to the different challenges we're going to face as a family in this coming year. So we're going to take on Denali this summer. So pray for us in that. Um, Today is Celebration Sunday, and we are looking back at all the good things that God has done and the way that he's faithfully carried us through difficult things here at the church. We're also looking forward to the things that he's going to continue to do and the way that he's going to be faithful through the challenges that life will inevitably inevitably bring because like Jill and I on flat top we've we've faced some challenges right we've faced outward circumstances we went through year two of a pandemic and once again we had people leaving the church over on both ends of the spectrum we, we've faced sicknesses we've faced death here we've faced the trials of of foster care and, and the adoptive world all sorts of challenges we've also faced our own failures as spiritual hikers we've seen addictions we've seen division we've seen broken relationships we are not immune to that as sinners here at Peninsula Grace. And like on the top of Flat Top, it can be easy at times to go, man, how are we going to get down? Like, are we going to safely arrive home? Man, have we not seen God's faithfulness through it all? Like, post-pandemic, like, man, Satan didn't win, right? 
damage has been done, but what we see is unity. We see generosity. We see flourishing in Christ. We're seeing new people coming into our fellowship every week. We're seeing financial flourishing, but that's mostly kind of surface stuff to some degree. Like what I'm most excited about is stories like Evan's. Like God, Satan and death and sin didn't get the last word in Evan's life and it doesn't get the last word in our lives, amen? Like Jesus is alive and he is victorious and we can be, find freedom in him in the risen Jesus. And so what I want us to look at here in these last eight chapters of Acts is God's rescue plan for the world and the reality, the glorious reality that it is going to continue unhindered. The plan is here to do a kind of a bird's eye view of these final eight chapters in Acts on Paul's journey to Rome. And what we're going to see is Paul's journey to Rome actually mirrors Jesus' journey to the cross. And, and it reflects into what our journey with Jesus looks like today. And so we're going to see that as Luke looks back and remembers God's faithfulness to Paul in, in his journey to spread the gospel, not without suffering, not without hardship, but to be faithful. It's going to give us confidence that that same God is alive, that that same Jesus is alive today, and through the hardships, through the suffering, through the trials, we can trust that he's not going to let us go, and his plans will continue unhindered. Amen. So let's, let's get into this. Uh, two things that I see in this text this morning. Two, two, way, two things that God uses for those good, unhindered purposes. The first one is surrendered lives. There are bulletins on the way in. There's some fill-in-the-blanks if you want to follow along with some, with some outline here. We're going to look at Paul's journey, then Jesus' journey, and then our own journey. So Paul, uh, if you remember, we met him, came onto the scene in Acts chapter 7, uh, where some, he's a Jewish Pharisee who has rejected the way of Jesus. He's imprisoning and imp- approving the death of those who follow Jesus. But then in Acts chapter 9, we've got the original road to Damascus experience, and his life is forever changed when he meets Jesus and becomes a follower of Christ himself. And then the majority of the back half of Acts is these, are these three missionary journeys that Paul goes on, spreading the good news of the grace of God through Jesus throughout the Roman Empire. And last week, Pastor Ross walked us through Acts chapter 20, this farewell speech to the leaders of the church in Ephesus. And, and he says these, 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 this powerful, emotionally stirring statement to them in a speech. And he said, and now, brothers, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except if history repeats itself, right? In every town, the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. It's going to be another tough go. But, and here, if, there ever, if there ever was a life verse, here you have it, I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course in the ministry I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And man, what we see here, he says, the spirit compels me. That word means to be bound. We're going to see him bound by chains, but he goes, what's really binding me, what's really compelling me to go forward is the spirit of God in me. And we see him say, what, I know what's coming is going to be rough, but my life, like my life is better in the hands of my God than my own go at protecting myself and leading myself. So we pick up the story back in the next chapter here, Acts 21. Uh, Paul is in Caesarea, which is just a little up the the road from Jerusalem on on the coast there of the Mediterranean Sea. And there's a knock at the door. Verse 10, after we have been there for several days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And there's this really weird moment. He came to us, took Paul's belt, excuse me, uh, 
tied his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. You picture Jeremiah, Isaiah, some of the bizarre things they did. Uh, He says, in this way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt, so that's Paul, of course, and deliver him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, both we and the local people pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. So he says, Paul, the Jewish uh, brothers, they're going to bind you and hand you. That word deliver over to the Gentiles, that means death. Like there's going to be death for you in Jerusalem. And the people go, Paul, don't go. Like don't do it. Which, which makes sense, right? Like if I told you, hey, God c- called me to go to Nikiski and preach the gospel there. And those Nikiskiites are going to kill me. And if you guys were like, sweet, send a postcard, right? I'd be like, hey, I, go, I just said die, right? Like, so it, it's good and right that they don't want Paul to die. But look at how he responds, verse 13. Then Paul replied, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready. I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Since he would not be persuaded, we said no more except the Lord's will be done. After this, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. So this is this beautiful moment. They, they realize they cannot out-persuade the Holy Spirit inside of Paul. And so they release their friend to go to his earthly end in the beginning of that journey. But man, I see this. Don't you hear some of that language? I think Paul, excuse me, Luke, the author of Acts, is so intentionally comparing, paralleling Jesus' journey with Paul's journey. I mean, you hear Paul say that the Jewish people will hand me over to the Gentiles. And Jesus said the exact same thing. They're going to Jerusalem, where Paul is going, and he tells his disciples, see how we're going up? Uh, The Son of Man will be handed over to the priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified before he is resurrected. We see Paul say, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? And it reminds me of the language that he says to those dear women who love him on the road to the cross. He says, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and your children. And we see a Paul who is persuaded by the Spirit and is unmovable on his journey. I am ready to die. He would not be persuaded. And this is Jesus in Luke chapter 9. When the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up, he determined to journey to Jerusalem. That word determined, it literally means he set his face toward Jerusalem. You have this movie-like moment where Jesus looks at the city and says, I am going and the gates of hell will not stop me. And we see this as really, he's riffing on a, a prophecy of the, of the Messiah back in Isaiah chapter 50, when it said of the Messiah, the Lord will help me, therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. Now, I don't know what it looks like to set your face like flint. He's kind of focused in. <laughs> I think that was probably the intimidation that, that I was hoping for. Um, but we know that he's able to do so because he trusts his father to faithfully guide him on the good and safe path to victory, although it surely looks more like failure. See, see, I believe Satan was hosed. The game was over before Jesus ever hung on the cross. I think the real battle was won when he surrendered his will to his father, when he was in the garden. And he said, Father, like, man, I don't want this. I don't want to die. Jesus was a human just like you and I. None of us would look forward to torture and death. But what he said was, not what I want. Ultimately, Father, what I want is what you want. And I trust you even if it means torture and death. 
And this is the language we hear in this chapter, don't we? What, what did Paul's friends say? The Lord's will be done. That Paul and his friends are learning what Jesus learned to entrust his life into the hands of his Father. And this brings us to our journey today. Like maybe you and I won't be called to physically die for our testifying to God's grace through Jesus, but we are each called to die every single day. Right after Jesus says he needs to die in verse 22 of Luke 9, he calls his followers into the exact same thing. He says to them all, these are his disciples, and we are his disciples today. If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. What's the cross do? Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. Jesus says the only way onto the good and safe path to true life is to give me your life just like I gave mine to my Father. And I don't know about you, but that's, that's terrifying, isn't it? And, and not, not just in the big ways, but it's, it's the little daily things of letting go of, of control in my life. When I look at all the anxiety that racks me, I see how much I'm trying to control my own life and guide my own life and protect myself and put myself first. And he says, man, let me run your life. Let me lead you. Let me guide you. That's scary, isn't it? Like, I even think about doing that on a human level. Like, when Jill and I gave vows to each other, Jill was, was saying, I will trust you with my heart. I'll be faith, I, I trust you to be faithful to me and not shatter that thing in a million pieces. That I'll grab your ankle on the cliff's edge and trust that you won't fall into me, right? Foolish leap of faith, girl. But here's the question, guys. Like, will we trust the heart of God? This is the battle since the garden. Will we trust that God is for us? Will we trust his word and his promises? Because we will not entrust our hearts to God until we trust the heart of God. And to make it harder here, we're not only called, I always, I always picture an open hand. We are to have our lives on the altar, open-handed toward God. But here in this story, we see not only are we to hold loosely our lives, but the lives of those we love, those that are closest to us. Verse 14, since he would not be persuaded, we said, now remember, Luke's the author. When you see we here, he's on the scene. So here's Luke, and he and Paul's closest friends in Christ say, the Lord's will be done. They had to surrender Paul and say, we are probably going to be watching our own closest friend die, just like Jesus with his disciples. And not only do they have to hold him loosely, I love this next little, little detail here in verse 15. After this, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. That Paul didn't go alone. That Paul's friends walked the hard road with him. We're not promised to be saved from the hard road, but we are promised witness, God and others. And man, I think about those in our lives, the ones that we have to hold loosely, our, our, our children, our spouses, our friends and loved ones who are ailing or going through difficult situations and brokenness. Man, we, we had to learn this with our daughter. Like, when she was in utero, like, we just had to pray every night, Lord, would you keep her safe and healthy? Like, and we knew we had, like, other than Jill avoiding, like, hard drugs, I think there was not much we could do to keep her safe in there. Like, we just had to trust God. And then, like, those first few moments when, when she was born, and, and there was a moment there where the color didn't look right, and the doctor looked a little concerned. I didn't know, like, is she going to make it? Like, is she going to be okay? And I had to trust her. I had to hold her with an open hand at my father's good grace. And now I've heard it just gets easier from here, right? Like, 
teenage years, like it's all just kind of gravy, right? <laughs> Even our adult children, like I'm, I'm going to get the terrifying call someday, can I marry your daughter? No. <laughs> you wait till she's 55 and I'm dead, right? And then you can, <laughs> then we can talk, right? That's, man, listen, we cannot control our own lives, let alone the loved ones around us. We entrust them into the good hands of a father. Now, maybe you say, I've tried to trust God before, and I've been burned. Like a bunch of bad things happened to me and to us, and the ones I love. What, what about that? Well, it takes us to our next point. God uses surrendered lives. He also uses bad intent for his good, unhindered purposes. Even when man intends evil, God uses for good. So we go back to Paul's journey. Um, he, he gets to Jerusalem and kind of like Jesus on the donkey. He's well received at first. They say they glorify God as Paul's there. But things like with Jesus quickly turn sour. And he's falsely accused of trying to overturn the, the Jewish uh, customs and traditions and beliefs. And, and then he stands before, before the Jewish leadership, the Sanhedrin, to give testimony. And there's this sweet moment in Acts chapter 23 where God comes to Paul with a word, a needed word in, in the dark night of the soul. 2311, the following night, and I love this, the Lord stood by him. Like again, the witness of our God. He's in the dark night of the soul, but he's not alone. His Lord stands by him, and he gives him this word. Have courage, Paul. Have courage. Why? For as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so it is necessary for you to testify in Rome. I love this. I have been faithful to proclaim my good news of a risen Jesus with you in, in Jerusalem, and I'm going to do the same thing with you in Rome. I'm going to get you to Rome, and you're going to declare who Jesus is. And what we're going to see here, what's so cool, Rome is the center of the empire. And we're going to see, you read the history books, man, the gospel explodes through the Roman Empire, through Paul's word here. And I, you remember playing Mario when you got the, the star? Like how sweet that was? Like, I got the star. No one can touch me. And now you just blaze through the level and, and toads and, and mushrooms are just bouncing off. I guess toad was on your side. Mushrooms are bouncing off you. Turtles are bouncing off you. As long as you avoid the pit, man, you're getting to the end of the level, right? You didn't have to worry about dying. And so here's Paul with the Mario star going, I'm going to get to Rome, right? God said I will. And the rest of the book of Acts is this crazy story of how God accomplishes this in his unhindered purpose. So you guys remember Mr. Magoo, okay? So it's this nearsighted dude, old guy, who, who keeps walking around and somehow avoiding uh, impending doom. And, and, and you're left at the end of every Mr. Magoo caper going, how did he not die, right? I mean, you talk about evidence of the grace of God or just somebody writing a script. That was really obvious. Um, Paul's got this Mr. Magoo thing going on here. Where there's this crazy story of God protecting Paul as he follows Jesus, not by sight, but by faith. And there are all these conspiracies to kill Paul in this story. You go back and read these chapters. It's so cool to see man is trying to kill Paul, but God sustains him. Such a cool story. And he keeps giving in the midst of this all these awesome opportunities for Paul to declare his own story with Jesus. He tells his story before two governors, Festus and Felix, before King Agrippa, which is really cool because there was this prophecy back in Acts 9 where God, Jesus tells him out of the, out of the gates, you're going to testify about me before kings. And here it comes to fruition at the end of Acts. And then he appeals to Caesar. He goes, I appeal to Caesar. I'm going to Rome. And Agrippa's like, dude, that's the message version, dude, if you wouldn't have appealed to Rome, you would have been set free. And now, was that a mistake? 
Now, that was Paul, that was part of God's unhindered plan to get Paul to Rome, which is where Caesar is, right? And so he gets, he sails to Rome where he's shipwrecked, but God saves him, he survives. He gets bitten by a poisonous snake, but he survives. In fact, not only does he survive, he heals other people around him, and at last he gets to Rome. Now, if you read the last chapter of Acts, from a human perspective, it looks like failure because he arrives in chains. He arrives in, in prison. But look at how the story ends. Here's the last two verses of the, of the book of Acts. Paul stayed two years in his own rented house. So this was essentially house arrest that he was in. He was in his, a home, but he couldn't leave it. Maybe he had guards there with him. And he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Our last word, unhindered. Now, from God's perspective, what looked like failure from a horizontal point of view was actually part of God's unhindered plan coming to fruition. He had promised Paul back in 23, you're going to get to Rome. And here he is in Rome preaching the gospel. And when it looks like, man, you're under house arrest, you can't get out there, God actually brings people to Paul to hear the gospel. Not only that, he uses this time in prison to write four of the letters in, in our Bible. We're going to go through Ephesians this fall together. He writes Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, Philemon. And man, what looks like imprisonment is actually freedom. It might look like he's bound by man, but what did he say back in Acts chapter 20? I'm bound by the Holy Spirit. It's the love of Christ that compels me. Humans aren't in control of the situation. And Paul learns that he can trust Christ and follow him even when there's pain, even when he's been wrongfully accused, even when he's been beaten and whipped, even when he's been shipwrecked, even when he's been snake bitten. And again, this echoes the footsteps of Jesus himself on his journey to the cross. I hear the same author of the Gospel of Luke and the story in Acts saying that the end of, of, of Paul's earthly life looks a lot like the end of Jesus' earthly life. Because actually you see from both of them here, look at the parallels. They both travel to Jerusalem. They both are told ahead of time there's going to be hardship and eventually death. They both are falsely accused from the leadership of the Jewish people, their own. They're both arrested and handed over to the Romans, the Gentile authorities. They both are tried before a Jewish council and the Roman governors. But in both situations, we see it is not human authority that's in control. It's God himself. That Jesus Christ is greater than any human authority, any human ruler, and any earthly plan. And just like Paul's seeming failure in prison was actually freedom and victory in the gospel, what looked like death and doom for Jesus was actually life for all humankind. In the end, Jesus taught us what it looks like to hold our lives in an open palm before the Father. The last words that author Luke pens out of Jesus' lips on the cross in, in chapter 23, Jesus called out, with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. And saying this, he breathed his last. That word spirit and the, and the word breath there. And the same word. I give you all of me spiritually, all of me physically. Father, all of me is in your hands. Because like Paul, he was given a promise. You are the Messiah 
who, yes, will die, but he will raise again. And what looked from a human perspective like failure, he was killed. Man intended evil, right? They wanted to silence this blasphemer. They wanted to kill him. But that very act of lifting him onto the cross was the act of Jesus being lifted high by the Father as King and Savior and Lord of the universe. Amen? So we look to our own journey here. Paul is standing on a promise that he would get to Rome with the gospel. But really, he's standing on the same promise that you and I are standing on today. Jesus made this to his followers. He was starting this little mustard seed movement. And he said in Matthew 16, I will, there's your promise word, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Man, this morning, Evan gave a testimony that the gates of Hades would not prevail against him if he surrendered his life to Jesus. That we look back at this year as individuals and as a church, I'll tell you what, COVID did not get the last word, right? The pandemic, God wasn't like, oh, I didn't see a pandemic coming. And God in our own lives, it's like, oh, I didn't realize you were that jacked up, right? He knows who we are. He knows the depth of our failures. He knows the, the, the curveballs from our perspective that we're going to face. And Jesus says, I will continue in the face of it, unhindered. I will build my church. And we ain't going to limp to the finish line. We're going to be more than conquerors. So let's do some heart work here. I want to consider your own life this last year. What are some obstacles that you faced in your own journey from, from our perspective as obstacles? Maybe like, like Paul and Jesus, you face some outward circumstances. Maybe you've been wrongfully accused of something. Maybe you have been misunderstood. Maybe you've been abused or used. Maybe you have faced physical challenges of sickness or injury. A loved one has. Maybe it's been financial struggles. Maybe it's been relational brokenness. It's hard to trust God when it hurts, isn't it? Maybe it's been some of your own failures. Maybe it's been a, a bad choice, a foolishness, a, a sinful addiction. And we go, man, am I disqualified? Like, am I sidelined from being used by God for his purposes? In, in the face of, of what we see as obstacles, will we hold an open hand before our Father and trust our lives to him? I, I think of jo- Joseph's words to his brothers when he said, man, what you used, intended for evil, man, God used that. And think about what he's saying. You, you sold me, your own brother, into slavery. But now God used that, not just for my good, but Joseph's actually saving his brother's lives out of a famine. The same with Jesus. The very ones who are putting me on the cross, Lord, would you use that act to forgive them and cleanse them of their own sin? It's incredible. And we look at our own lives. Can we see the way that God is using our own failures and our outward circumstances for his glory? Like Evan, my brother Evan, I had my own journey of addiction to pornography. And, and like I've said before, seeing the way that God has used that, he didn't go, man, you went too far, Frank. You know, you're out. Like he, when I gave it over to him, when I found repentance and faith in Christ and freedom, he's been able to use that story. How many men, I can't even count anymore, who have come up to me and said, man, your vulnerability to share that story has prompted me to be able to open up and tell my story. Look at the way that God used Evan today to bless many here in this room. Like He uses our own failures that doesn't justify our sin. We don't say, well, let's go keep on sinning so we'll have a better and better testimony. That's not the point. But God says, my unhindered power is actually made perfect, perfect in your weakness. How about our outward circumstances? I was a 30-year-old with an 85-year-old pair of hips. 
and I had all, I felt like all my options were dead-ended. I'd take a 20-minute walk around the neighborhood and la was laid up for the rest of the day. It certainly felt like a, an obstacle in my life to be living the kind of life that I wanted to. But I saw the way that God used that. I didn't know if there would be uh, to be able to be healing from that. I, I didn't know what the story would look like. God, in his grace, out of, out of nowhere, from my perspective, gifted me with two brand new hips that are supposed to last for decades to come. But I didn't know that. And in that moment, I, I, what I saw in this thorn in my flesh, like Paul, was to have to learn dependence on my father, to trust him with the things that, that he had put on my plate. I also saw the way that he comforted others through the way that he had comforted me. In Corinthians, Paul talks about that. I had a brother just a couple weeks ago say, hey, can we go to lunch? And I'm going through some hard things physically. I know you've been down a similar road before. What did God teach you? Like, what did, what did you learn through that process? How did he encourage you? I just need someone else to walk that road with me, stand by with me. How's he using what looks like an obstacle in your life for his own unhindered purposes to make you more like Jesus and to use you as a megaphone of his grace to the world around us? Paul looked at his journey ahead to Jerusalem and then to Rome, and it says he set his face like flint. He says, I am ready. I am ready not only to be bound, but to die for the name of Jesus. Man, how, how can we be like that? How can we legitimately mean it and say, I'm ready for whatever? What does it mean to be ready? Like, I thought about that word a lot this week. To be ready, I think it means to be prepared, right? Like, like if so, to go on a trip or like Jill and I's hike, they have everything you need. We clearly were not prepared. We needed cleats and poles and experience. Like we did not, we were not prepared for that journey. But I think it also means trust. Like when a daddy says to their little, little one, jump into my arms, I will catch you. Are you ready? They say, I'm ready when they believe that their father is going to catch them. So how do we cultivate a heart that says, I'm ready to leap when you say to jump, God. I'm ready to do whatever you're calling me into, trusting that you have prepared me, that you will catch me, that you will hold on to me. Well, it's what we're doing this morning. It's the art of celebration. Like for us, one of the things that will stir the affections and trust in our heart is to thank God for what he has done. Now, anybody here, a product of the 90s, uh, will, 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 hear, will remember this verse. I will call upon the Lord. Who is worthy to be praised? So shall I be saved from my enemies. So if you were in the 90s praise and worship, let, let's, get, let's get this going. I will call upon the Lord. Who is worthy to be praised? So shall I be saved from my enemies. Get the tambourines out. The Lord live it, right? We'll get the overhead projector. Like, we are feeling it, right? Tight jeans and, and mullets. Praise Jesus, 90s style, right? So what we see in this verse, other than sweet nostalgia, is the, the way that we enact, we do battle against the enemy, and it's a weapon of praise. He says, you want to know how we're going to be saved from our enemy? It's by calling on the name of the praiseworthy God of our lives. He says, as we thank, if we remember who our God is and what he's done, it will stir the affections of our heart to trust him going forward. And so we, we've practiced this art of, of thanking God for what he's done for us in Christ. And just a couple of practical things before we shut down. So first of all, pause. Uh, we need to find consistent pause points throughout our day, our week, our year, to just stop for a moment, pause, and meditate on who God is and what he's done. Maybe that's early in the morning. Maybe that's on your drive to work. M maybe that's while you're cooking dinner. 
maybe it's putting a, a reminder in the phone each day so that we'll remember to do so. And in fact, I just want to, for 15 seconds, take a pause right now. So just if you close your eyes for me here, 15 seconds, look back at this year and just find one thing that you can thank and glorify God for. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Second one I want us to think about is to reflect. So to reflect, one thing that really helps me, I have a daily journal, and I look back at the day before, and I I just find three things to thank my God for. And man, that just cultivates in me a heart that can trust him. Uh, Maybe it's tracking your prayers and how they've actually been answered. Uh, My default is to complain and get angry and be discontent, and this can stir a heart and say, God, what have you done in my life, and what are you teaching me going forward? The third thing here, sing, sing, the weapon of praise, right? Music stirs our affections the way that just words themselves won't. So maybe it's blessing others by singing in the car where nobody else can hear you. Maybe that's what you need to do. Uh, Maybe it's singing as a family. One of my goals has been to sing one song of thankfulness and praise to my father every single day. Uh, It's one of the most formative things we do as a church. We come together and we sing to our God. And sometimes we sing the words trusting by faith that our hearts will catch up with what we're saying, that God will stir a joy and a trust in us as we declare his praise. Number four, reach out. Uh, If you see something, say something, okay? So we, God uses people to encourage other people. And one of the habits I've been trying to cultivate in my life is when I'm encouraged by somebody, tell them. Like, let them know. And maybe it's a text message or a a phone call or there's this thing we used to do called face-to-face conversation, right? Practice that, right? Just coming up to them and saying, man, I want to thank God. I want to thank you for the way that you blessed me when when you did that thing for me, when you had that kind word to me. Man, just thank you. Thank you. Reach out. Number five, read. Read. One of the best ways to to form a heart that trusts God is to soak in who he is and what his promises are to us. And that over history, he's followed through with those. If only we had a book that told us all about who God is and his promises for us and the way that he's been faithful in the past, right? Good place to start this last week in our reading plan, Psalms 103 to 107. Man, it just brought so much joy to my heart. The Psalms teach us how to praise God as creator, rescuer, what he's done over the course of Israel's and human's history, and what he will continue to do going forward. Then the final one here is to take a step of faith. Take a step of faith. Listen, one of the most invigorating ways to actually be able to say, I am ready, is to take a scary, actual step of faith. See, we just hear this and go, man, that was a really good message, some, some things that, yeah, that would be really good to do, and then we just walk out the door and keep living life. I mean, James talks about that kind of person, right? So, so what's, what's one step we can take this week, like actually to be able to do one of those? And maybe it's as simple as saying, you know what, this week I'm going to bed a half hour earlier so that I can get up a half hour earlier and actually pause and reflect and read. But at the heart of this, how, how do we know that we can hold our lives and the lives of our loved ones loosely, open-handed before our God. And for that, we look no farther than than the cross and the empty tomb. That, That we can know, that we can trust God with our lives because he let go of his own son's life to prove that he would never let go of ours. Romans 8 says, man, if he died for us while we were his enemies, now that we're his children, you think he's ever gonna bail on us? You think he's ever going to abandon us? And like Paul, we can say, I am ready. We equip ourselves through the art of celebration, through the weapon of praise, remembering God's faithfulness in this past year and trust that same God in the year ahead 
not just is worthy to be held on to, but is actually going to be the one holding on to us. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father God, it could be painful, honestly, for some of us as we look past this past year. Maybe it's really hard in those 15 seconds to think about something to be thankful for. And what first floods our minds is all the pain and the letdown and the heartache and the sins. Father, I just pray that you'd meet the broken in this place with your grace, that you'd restore broken hearts to all the poor and powerless. Father, I pray that those who are having a good time, enjoying the sunshine and and maybe coming off of a good week or a good year, to, to be able to see humbly that those are gifts of their grace, that they didn't earn that, they didn't do that on their own. Lord, that we would all cultivate a heart that trusts you with an open hand, that, that would be willing to say whatever faces, whatever from my perspective looks like a roadblock is actually God using for good to fulfill his purposes of making me more like Jesus and using me as a megaphone of his grace to the watching world. We believe, help our unbelief. Oh, for grace to trust you more. And all God's people said, Amen.